Welcome to episode 656 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio John, welcome along to episode 656 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Owls. How you going, mate? I am pretty good, Bevan. It's been a good weekend of racing, so everybody's happy. You look like you're actually just about to go for a race yourself. It's because I've got my I Am Talk uh, race gear, which you can get on imtalk.me. Your socks as well? Got my socks. Yeah, feeling groovy. Feeling groovy. Feeling groovy? Looking man. groovy as well. Feeling and, and you went for a swim this morning? Had a little swim. Numbers are starting to dwindle at the pool now. Challenge Wanaka's done and dusted, and also Iron Man is all out of the way. It's only a hand of three of three or four of us this morning. So I saw the Holy Hammer on Saturday morning. Came up to me and said, "I said, what are you training for?" He said, "Training to lose weight." Yes. Stop eating so much Holy Hammer. That's the best way to train to lose weight. Eat less. <laughs> Eat less. It's a good diet. I talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your buffer. And some of our patrons. And his name is Jumbo. Pavel, the Wild Wrestler Chalices. I think he was up racing uh, Ironman this weekend. Okay, we also have Michael, call me Sir Turner. And Anthony, the Squid Express Camilleria. Nice work, Anthony. It's a, uh, yeah, I'll give you that one. You, you weren't so confident with the last name, were you? I was not. No, but it's okay because, you know... We're not the sharpest characters. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a couple of interviews coming up. We've got who we've got, John? We've got Barry Shepley and Bob Nucky. Now, Bob was a 70 to 74 age group a athlete. freak. Who did Kona last year, so you hear about that. Uh, we're hoping to catch up with Mike Phillips as well. He's actually, as we started recording, he's in hospital getting some x-rays. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We were going to have Jocelyn McCauley, but she was driving from Taupo to Auckland, Auckland to get out of our wonderful country so we might catch up with her in the next week or so okay we've also got winger of the week and our questions and answers at the end john the big race we're going to be talking about today is ironman new zealand and we last week when we were talking about the race we're saying it could be a pretty interesting race because the the strength of the field and the dynamics of the athletes within the field and it really turned out to be a great race we did not get what we expected no, that's far, for sure it. no what we expected was to probably see a bit of a showdown between Terenzo Bazzoni and Braden Curry, and then and maybe uh, Starkowitz. Maybe Starkowitz. He'll, yep. he'll be mixing it up. Didn't turn out that way. And uh, on the female side, um, sort of turned out kind of how we thought it might have done. You, you had Laura Siddle and Meredith Kessler, who you thought were probably going to potentially be battling it out for the win, and then also Jocelyn McCauley, who's won here before. She was certainly going to be in the mix, and Teresa Adam as well. So those four did end up in the top four, but it possibly wasn't quite the order that we might have thought. But back to the men's race, and what we saw there was one of the greatest Ironman runs I think you're ever going to see. And see, and that's a pretty big statement. That is a ma- massive statement. But... Um, Mike Phillips won the race, set a new course record, 2 hours 40.04, uh, a new course run course record, uh, which beats his previous runs. Like he's a, a 250 guy normally. Yep. So he beat his run time by over 10 minutes. Uh, at the same time, he ran down. I thought initially, I thought it was a 17 minute deficit. It was, I think, 18 minutes and 44 coming off the seconds bike. coming off the bike. So wait a second, he swam two minutes faster than Starkowitz. And then, so th- yeah, so about 18 minutes. So he, well, I've, I'll get it on my phone, actually. I can tell you. The app is really quite good now. Uh, he was coming off the bike 
Ah, it's gone back, except it does refresh, which is kind of nice, but not when you want to look at... Uh, <laughs> not when you're trying to podcast. <laughs> not when you're trying to podcast. So coming off the bike, Andrew Starkwitz had a 16.30 lead over Matt Burton, 17.02 over Braden Curry, and 18.44 over Mike Phillips. Uh, I was uh, I was dropping my son off after swimming, uh, picking, dropping a friend off after swimming, and his dad was watching the coverage. He said, what about this American guy? And I said, well... Unless he's got 15 minutes off the bike, probably not going to be a factor because either Curry or Terenzo will probably run somewhere in the 240s and they'll probably catch him. Turns out he did have over 15 minutes, so it was going to be an interesting race. Uh, but yeah, absolutely blown away by Mike Phillips' performance. So he swam 47.57, bike 4.32, and ran a 2.40. On the bike, he had a mechanical as well. Uh, so he had to stop. No, he had to stop early in the bike uh, to fix an armrest, and then he lost the group. So he pretty, I, I think he rode most of the ride either by himself, but he wow. certainly wasn't with the leaders. Uh, and then coming into transition, he overcooked it and crashed into a barrier. Uh, not sure how long that took him to, to, to rectify and then uh, took off in the run and didn't run an even split but wasn't too far off it and caught Starkowitz with it was only a couple of k's to go so Starkowitz certainly didn't blow up uh, only about three hours and you kind of see it if he runs three hours you know who knows here's Starkowitz's run splits from uh, from most of his races so if we I think it might be a run PB for him. Okay. Well, it's going to be pretty close. World Champs last year, he ran 3.44. Uh, at North American Champs last year, he ran 3 hours and 57 seconds. Louisville, 3.07. Wisconsin, 3.11. Um, World Champs, 3.58. Uh, the year before, 2015, 3.09. 3.09. So I can't see any sub-3 hour. Oh, no, he has run 2.58 in Florida. When he went seven fifty five twenty two, so he's he, he ran as good as he can. Uh, that's not the fastest course, so he did lose uh, two two and a half minutes in the last two k's, <laughs> or wherever Mike Parson was sort of two to well, three. Well, he probably just gave up the fight then too, didn't he? Yeah, because he because how much did he beat Braden by then by a couple in, of minutes? And so he, he had another minute and a half back to Braden. Yeah. so uh, so he would have been on on target for. Well, and let's three. be honest. Freakish Let's not be honest. Mike. Yeah, no, we've got to be honest. Freakish <laughs> it's lie. <laughs> okay, well, it's all a lie. No, but freakish performance by Mike. Mm. Um, Starkwitz would have won if Mike didn't have such a, a freakish day. Absolutely. You know, so like, you know, like really he had a pretty great race. But yeah. And you've beaten Braden Curry, who, you know, didn't have his best run, but he still ran 245. That's not terrible by any stretch Well, what's Braden's best run? Have you got Braden's stats there? Well, he, he ran quicker than that in... Um, Cairns last year, I think he ran close to 240, maybe 240 or 241, something like okay. that. So, But when you're watching the race on Saturday, you're thinking to yourself, okay, coming off the bike, if, if Starkwitz, you're thinking the gap's big, but it's probably not big enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're thinking, at first you're thinking, I didn't quite know who, who was the guy who was coming in, um, was it Matt Burton? Yeah. So didn't really know much about his pedigree in running, so I was kind of a bit unsure of him. You're thinking it's Braden's race, weren't you? Yeah, well, also, Terenzo was still in the mix at that stage, but he pulled out with a, with an injury. Yeah, but he'd fallen back on the bike, hadn't he? Uh, no, yeah, no, he really. Yeah, he felt like he a little bit in the last part uh, of the bike, Only a minute. He? he rode 4.32, Braden rode 4.31, so maybe lost a couple of minutes, but not, not massively. Because I, I would have thought Braden would have tried, I mean, Terenzo would have tried to make a bit of a breakaway on the bike at the end, because mm. he's not quite as strong a runner as Braden. So I was thinking that, you know, and Terenzo's probably a slightly stronger biker than Braden. Mm. So when I saw Torenzo's kind of break what just fall back a little bit. I was like, okay, well, he's no longer going to win this race. 
And so we'll give Starkowitz some credit here. Well, he, he swam slower. Like on Torsten's rating, he only went for 49.48, which is coded in red, which means it was slower than expected because uh, he's normally towards the front in the swim. So you could almost say that he lost a race in the swim. He rode a 4.12.07. <sighs> New Zealand is not a fast course. No. Back in the day, we used to worship Bjorn Anderson for riding a 4.30, and we've got you know, multiple guys riding, or a couple of guys riding under 4.30, and plenty riding you know, 4.30 to 4.35. So very, very impressive. And um, I put a post on our Facebook page yesterday because I was wondering what the biggest deficit was uh, back to, to, to win a race. Race. and good old Torsten just <laughs> as soon as he posts yep. everybody shuts yep. up game over <laughs> it's game over he said uh, Sonia Tosik in 2006 in Malaysia ran a 30 uh, ran down a 32 minute deficit Kat Morrison in 2010 ran a 28 minute deficit Jason Shortis in 06 overcoming uh, a 22 minute deficit Chrissy Wellington uh, in Kona, 21-minute deficit. Uh, and Cam Brown ran down 18 minutes to beat Bjorn Anderson yeah, in 2004. So, yes, I give all those ones credit. And the other big one that I was thinking was Mark Allen when he ran down um, Thomas Hellriger, which was somewhere in the region of 12 to 12 to 13 minutes from memory. So I still rate this. When you've, when you've run a course record and you run a massive PB, in some of these other instances, I'm sure the person at the front exploded and maybe they weren't of the right calibre. And I know that Kat Morrison, when she um, came back from a 28-minute deficit, she'd had all sorts of bike mechanicals and things like that. So not not saying anything bad about any of them, but I just think Mike's performance was insane. Yeah, it really was. And how cool would that be? Like, well, hopefully we do get to talk to him today because um, just how cool would that be? That's the ultimate athlete experience, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, when you... Because like, now, now, in fairness... Mike has won the like the Queenstown Half Marathon, so he's a solid runner, isn't he? Like he's a pretty decent runner. He is, but you wouldn't normally put him in the same caliber as Cam Brown at his absolute best, Braden Curry at his absolute best on the run, and the other athletes who have seen in Taupo, guys like Matt Hansen, who's consistently one of the fastest runners in the sport. Uh, so you'd say, Mike, you know, Mike is a he's just strong all round. Um, he's a good swimmer, he's a good biker, and he's a sol- solid runner. But that's a, that's a runner's time. That's awesome. How, um, what does this mean for his future? Well, for, for this year, it means he's straight boom into Kona. Yeah, that's interesting. Because uh, so then Braden's not. Braden's not. He finished third place. Uh, you would have thought he'd get it, but the way the Kona the slots got allocated, there was fourteen males and fourteen females, so he um, he misses out. So he's on the old system. He'd still be sweet because he got you know high placing in Kona. He would have got that. Sweet, you maybe need a few more points, but uh, he'd be more almost home and hose. But at the moment, he's at square one. Yeah, yeah, he's got to start again. No, he's going to get there unless you're dramatically wrong. Well, but it does change the season, doesn't it? Because he's, he's probably thinking after this weekend, I've got my slot. Uh, yeah, but he's got to go somewhere else now. And if you have another strong field and you get a third, you're out. You know, and I think I saw him. Did I see him down on the list for doing rote as well? He might have to rethink that. So. Yeah, um, so Starkowitz ended up getting second, 8.07, still a fantastic race. Braden Curry, solid race, 8.09 for third. Matt Burton uh, held on pretty nicely. He ran a 2.49 for fourth, and Tim Reid came back um, with a 2.51 to finish in fifth place. So Dylan McNeese, he had bike troubles. He was down in ninth. Uh, Terenzo pulled out on the run with a calf injury, and Cam Brown, uh, you know, he's just losing what, so much yeah, what, time. What happened the there? What now. happened? What happened for Cam? Uh, he just said he was... Um, 
feeling atrocious on the bike, and I'm not sure if he had an issue on the run or not, but he was going uh, he was going nowhere. So Mike Phillips is currently about 28. Yes. You know, Torenzo a few years ago. Now, Torenzo was always for the longest time a bit of an untapped potential in Ironman. Mm-hmm. 70.3, shortest killing hit. It. You know, yeah. yeah, killing it. But, you know, it took him a while to figure it out. And then the last couple of years, now, obviously the crash last year put him off a little bit. But in the last couple of years, he had a couple of breakthrough races. And mm-hmm. now we've seen that, you know, this weekend he had, he had some problems. But he's been consistently performing at this higher level. Is this this breakthrough for Mike? Well, he's getting to that stage. You know, I know some people start. Um, say this 10,000 hour rule maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be yep. I kind of anecdotally from what I see it normally plays out pretty well and Mike's at that stage in his career you know I coached him for quite a while when he was a junior um, and into sort of under 23s and he's sort of really starting to mature and he's probably got he's probably got more than 10,000 hours now but he's sort of he's been going at it pretty hard now for around about you know 10 years or so mm. uh, and so that's a world-class performance. Yeah. So the, the big challenge for, for – he's, he's a big unit, uh, and the big challenge for the big units in Kona is always how well they can run. So he can w- run really well here. W- can he transfer that across to, to Kona and run well there? I've got no doubt that he can be in that lead group in Kona coming off the bike. Um, it's whether or not he can put in a you know a 240-something run over there to, to really break through. But he, he did a good, solid – debut over there last year so I don't see any reason why he can't get in the top 10 um, whether it's he can just, it was, attack the top you know, 5 like, I don't know for me with Terenzo it was a little bit that he just needed some belief mm-hmm. you know he, he now Terenzo was probably you would have said it was a better pedigree younger on mm-hmm. um, but with with Mike, you're kind of going, maybe it's that race that, you know, suddenly is the matrix moment, isn't it, when you see something else in yourself that you never thought was possible mm-hmm. and uh, you know this run, this race is it a full time athlete? Yeah, 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 but he's he's got his you know he's a smart dude. He's got his fingers in a few other little pies, yep. uh, and he's always he's got the fullback option. He's a, a engineer, so a structural engineer. And when he was going through the first part of his career, he was a pro career. He was doing sort of half time and sort of okay. going away on trips. So he's got security as well yep. uh, in terms of he's you know he's invested well. So he's he's not probably so quite young man. desperate uh, and probably not living on quite on the breadline like uh, a lot of the other pro athletes are. Yeah, and so this week. It's just a bit of a bonus for him. Well, well done, Mike. Bloody loved it. Um, Females race. Girls was, race. Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't end up being that close. And the, but there was a few very interesting aspects to this How race. Run. Jocelyn McCauley's run, uh, whole race was amazing. Uh, across the board, she was quicker than expected. So she swam 52, uh, rode 4:57, and on that course, that is very solid uh, and then ran a 258.06 which for a short time was the course record but that got broken we'll talk about that in a moment she did do an overall course record 8.53.10 and again on that course that is an amazing performance mm. uh, 33 minutes 49 seconds uh, different, different to expected um, for her so just uh, raced out of her skin across the board and I, we've talked about her before her performances uh, here a couple of years ago and at other races she is top notch when she's on song mm. and so I think you know if she can replicate get that sort of race in Kona, she's knocking on the door for top five for sure, I reckon. Um, it's crazy. It's just, it's just, in the last period, I've just reflected on how much faster racing's got. 
Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we were talking a little bit about the men's cycling a few years ago. You know, like, you know, a 4.30 was smashing at Ironman New Zealand. And now, you know, we've got a 4.12. <laughs> but we also got quite a few guys in the 4.30s. You know, we look at the girls. A sub a sub nine was a, years ago when it was a rote thing. Yeah. You know, you'd never expect a sub nine in New Zealand. Mm. And just the speed of these athletes, it's really another level now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah it really is so she had a relatively comfortable victory in the end I saw a footage of her running and she just looked like she was killing it Ugh. just looked fantastic uh, there's a few of the interesting things that came out today Teresa Adam who ended up finishing second place really solid race swam forty nine rode five oh six and ran a three oh four she got a littering penalty on the bike oh really uh, I'm not sure if that's a two minute or a five minute penalty but she was with um, Meredith Kessler and Rebecca Clark uh, at the front of the race don't think it would have meant the difference between necessarily winning and coming second because it did end up being quite a big gap but it meant she would have had to be riding by herself or not yeah. with those leaders there's a what if isn't there so it certainly had an impact on the race and I kind of that littering rule it's like oh, if you, I suppose if you do literally just have a gel and you just throw it on the ground yep. probably fair enough So, but if you accidentally kind of something slips and you drop it is the expectation that you stop and turn around and go back and get that hmm Tricky one. It is a hard one, that one. But she still had a very solid race, and the cool thing is she's punched her ticket for Kona as well because of the split. Uh, so it's two on the males, two on the females. So at this race, there was one slot for males, one slot for females, and then there was two slot floating slots. So that goes on sort of a pro rata basis. So normally, you'd expect possibly both those slots to go to the men because they have more on the field, but this time around, it was uh, even Stevens. So good, good call for the women but then again third place for females Meredith Kessler she uh, she's going home with no Kona qualification finishing in third uh, Laura Siddle uh, probably a bit disappointed with uh, fourth and Rebecca Clark I think on debut in fifth so Meredith Kessler just wasn't her day yeah, I haven't seen. She was she was there or thereabouts. Um, she was you know in the lead group on the swim, but her bike was only a five oh nine, which was slower than expected. Um, but she ran a three oh seven. What I did want to say was so that course run course record by Jocelyn McCauley of two fifty eight. Uh, Christian Leopold, who I think uh, Torsten said used to be Christian uh, Moller from Germany, ran a two fifty five thirty four. Insane on that course <laughs> again, just the speed of these athletes, isn't it? Unbelievable. Now, she does have a very strong pedigree. Uh, she has run similar times to that elsewhere. She Hamburg, she went 258 last year, uh, she went 258 in South Africa, so she's clearly a runner. But this is not being nasty at all. <laughs> her bike and her run splits aren't particularly impressive. She only finished seventh overall, swam a 105 and rode a 541. Maybe she had issues on the bike, I don't know. Uh, finished with a 948 in seventh place, but amazing run split. One of the comment you put in the show notes here, John, is, is this the only mass start event in the world with over 1,000 participants? Yeah, so they about fifteen hundred in the race, didn't they? I'm pretty sure there was around about fifteen hundred. I'm not sure if that was starters or entrants in the full. Uh, but hats off to Ironman New Zealand, still having it as a, a mass start. Yeah. Whether or not there was much drafting on the bike, I, I don't know at this stage. But it's great to still. You just want some choice, you know. I'm all in the rolling start. I don't, you know, I don't like it that much, but I understand why it's necessary. But I just think there needs to be some variation and at events that are a thousand participants or less I'm all in for the mass start especially over iron distance half Ironman slightly different but Ironman do we know how, how many they got in the 
Well, it's sold out, so I don't know. Oh, it's a sellout, okay. Yeah, but I, I don't know how many that is. Okay. Um, I'm in expansion. We've got the race happening in Omar, which happened over the weekend. We did get a, I got an email from Tim Hemming saying... I don't reckon we should say that. Oh, you that's don't? off one person. Yeah. Okay. We don't want to be gossip mongers. Okay. Okay, fair enough. It looks like it. I just think it's cool that we're now racing in Oman. The pictures, pre-pictures looked awesome. And you just got to think the expansion of our sport and it's exciting. It's global, isn't it? Yeah, going into India, you know, into India, Asia, the Middle East, I think is, is really cool. For, yeah, going for, for selfishly thinking for us Westerners, you know, going for adventures into different parts of the world is really cool. Um, and it's sure to actually develop the sport there. How many native athletes they had from Oman racing I'd probably say not that many but uh, I just think it's cool the race is expanding well, we'll, see, we'll see what happens in Africa you know it's, it's, it's a more challenging continent isn't it but yeah we to see what you know the, you know because you kind of like Asia's kind of slowly happening yes it's been a long game and it's mm. kind of hasn't been that fast a journey we are seeing the Middle East happen. We're starting to see, you know, these different parts, you know, the India and that like that. So it is starting to kind of reach into different areas. Africa is a totally different beast. You know, it's just different economy. It's not the wealth there. Yeah. So I can't, I can't see it happening myself. But again, you might be able to find some destination venues that are pretty cool. quite boutique yeah. and pretty cool somewhere in North Africa. Okay. So uh, just uh, we talked a few weeks ago. We talked about Frodo's schedule for 2019. So we thought, well, let's talk about the the current world champion Daniela Reef, and she's released her schedule for 2019. There's about five races happening in here and Oceanside. Another one because Frodo's doing Oceanside as well. I believe so. That's coming up in the uh, start of April. Yep. So I, th- I think we're seeing another Frodo versus um, Sanders um, duel. I yep. think. I'm not quite sure on that. But yeah, Daniela Reef, she's going off to do Oceanside, as Bevan said, which would be cool. Funnily enough, she's doing the Ironman World Champs in 70.3. Well, the champs as well. Uh, and then her other races, she does, she does uh, Rapperswiller, which is a 70.3 in Switzerland. Uh, and then she's going to do Ironman Austria, um, which means she won't be doing uh, either Rote or Germany, which she's she's done in the last and previous years. Uh, and it probably means that you know the other female athletes are not going to get necessarily a chance to, to see how they stack up against Daniela. Uh, they'll just have to wait until they get to the World Championships. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year to see... You know, if the drive keeps staying there for that champion athlete and she can just keep on pushing and taking it to another level, you know, she didn't have the, I mean, she just killed it in Kona, but she didn't, hasn't had perfect races. She had the, the clothing malfunction and But she's a bit like Chrissy. She doesn't have to have a great day to win it. No. You know, she won 20 minute. Mm. You know, you know, she took the world, like she's just a freak. Just on that, John, just kind of taking a little bit of a step back. We did get the PR release from Challenge Route this week. Yes, kind of confirming their profile pretty early. It is. It's got some good names in there. They've got um, Pat Arnott, David McNamee, Braden Curry, which may change because of this weekend. Matt Russell, Andy Potts, Cameron Wolf. So they basically got one, two, three, four, five, six of the top ten in Kona. Solid. It's a pretty good field. But then the problem is you've got Germany, which <laughs> that's what pisses me off about this stuff. So Rote did that, and then I saw something elsewhere that Germany released there you know, straight on top of them. Uh, and I'm in New Zealand have a habit of really pumping up their promo in Wanaka. I don't know if it's a strategy or not. It kind of seems like it probably is, which yep. also pisses me off. Uh, but, yeah, you have Rote, which we have a – it's an awesome field. Mm. But then you go to Frankfurt and you've got Frodo versus Langer. Yeah. What's going to get the PR, you know? Yeah, well, well, do you, well, they both kind of do, to be honest. Let's be honest, in our field. Um, Challenge Daytona has announced that they're going to have a, a Daytona distance under the lights as a professional race. Now, this I think this could work quite well if they get a really strong field and if they play the cards right because it's cool when you, if you go to a race, say you're doing the half and then you can kick back in a festival atmos- atmosphere 
have some, you know, if they've got some good food vendors, you can just kick back and relax and watch the pros racing. I think yeah. they're really good. If they do the age group race in the morning and then there's a gap and then they do the pros, I think it'll be a fizzer. But uh, if they can, you know, tack it smack onto the end of the um, age group race, I'd love that. You know, you think of, you know, say for example in Wanaka, if we were down down there doing the age group race and then you just kick back and you sit at a bar and you watch the pros, especially when they're doing here, it's going to be a multi-lap race. So it's not like you see them two times. You yeah. see them coming through quite often. So I think it's really cool. Okay, we've also got not much racing coming up over the next period of time. We've got Challenge, uh, sorry, uh, South Africa, is that 70.3 or the full? It's a full, so we're, yeah, we're a few, few weeks before we get into any more action. And then Oceanside 70.3. John's ITU update. Now, Tim Heming sent through the link to this, but I couldn't get the video. So yeah. it was an indoor triathlon. We've been talking about this recently, so... The Frenchies are pioneers when it comes to these sort of things. So it was a little, it was a European champs uh, or European indoor triathlon and you can go and watch it on triathlonlive.tv and it's the start of the season so it's a good time to actually sign up for the for the year especially if you're doing indoor trainer sessions because the first round of the world triathlon series is this weekend in Abu Dhabi but they had an indoor triathlon so swimming in a pool and then the, the, the problem here not the problem they were biking around a indoor running track and then running around the so they're biking on the outside lanes running on the inside lanes I haven't watched the coverage yet it's on my to-do list this week um, but I have actually done an event like this we did but we did it on an outside track on a 400 meter track we swam in the pool did the bike on the outside lanes and then ran on the inside lanes like they did and that was back in 96 or something like that uh it's pretty hard riding on those tracks okay <laughs> speed uh it's pretty hard on the corners so i don't think this is the future of our sport but it's a nice gimmicky did you promotional watch it? Th- i have not watched it yet i saw just the tiny little highlights um but yeah Got to keep innovating. So good stuff. This weekend, we've got um, Abu Dhabi coming up. Uh, they've got the sprint try on Friday. They've got the mixed relay on Saturday. Uh, you've got most of the usual contenders there, um, but no Johnny Brownlee and still no Flora Duffy. And so my questions this year on the ITU circuit is Mola has been pretty dominant the last few years, uh, except at the tail end of the season, Vincent Louis sort of come through. Um, I'm just wondering whether Vincent Louis has managed to catch up to Mola or not, uh, especially early season. And he certainly looked pretty awesome in the Super League. So that's going to be, I'm really, really interested to see when they go head to head, how it pans out. And we also see Johnny Brownlee at the, ITU, not the ITU, it's Super League, um, coming back into form, but I'm kind of wondering if he's just going to be one of the others that isn't quite back to his absolute best and a contender for, for winning, but more of a podium place getter. Uh, other questions I've got is whether Flora Duffy is going to be back and when she's back to her best, so I assume she'll be racing in the second round, which is in Bermuda. And then uh, last year's winner of the series, Vicky Holland, not writing her off, she bloody won the series last year, but looking forward to Tokyo, she's the oldest out of the whole crowd, whether or not she's going to be able to hang on to the sort of top rung for another, when's, when's Tokyo going to be probably a year and a half away I suppose, so whether or not she can hang on or not. And the other thing that I saw, I was thinking, I wonder if Nicholas Spurg's going to come back, and she's having another baby in April, I don't know if I knew that or not, but <coughs> she's having baby number three in April, if she does Tokyo, I think she's going to be... 30, 30, 38 if wow. she does Tokyo and she gets a medal that's pretty that's impressive that's pretty impressive well, could she? she's one of those freak athletes don't yeah definitely you wouldn't could do what yeah. about what's happening with Gwen Jorgensen do we know what's happening for her running? I do not but I did have that I did think about that the other day as well yeah because we haven't heard much about it recently so if anyone does know what's happening with her it would be interesting to see because the aim is the Olympics for the marathon 
Mm. Um, be interesting to see how this year is going to be. You know, crunch time. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and what happens if she doesn't? Because what happens if she turns up for the triathlon? Good question. That really puts a bit of a banner in the works, doesn't it? Mm. You know, because so she has to. When she, she have to qualify by? Well, the thing is, she could do it really late in the piece because it's you don't personally. No, qualify. I mean not for the marathon. Oh, for marathon, Americans. I think they're normally pretty late with their qualifying. They'll be they'll be qualifying, and I'm guessing they'll have American trials like in April or something like that. So it's yep. it's pretty late in the piece. Um, but that would be interesting if she decides she want to come back to try because America will qualify three spots definitely, uh, and then yeah, put some the politics of that, eh? Yeah, but I think don't know if there's been any talk whatsoever of that. That's Bevan speculating, which is great. No, but it's interesting because if she doesn't make the marathon. Does she go okay? Try to go, try to go for twenty uh, two thousand and what is it? What's it? Two thousand twenty four? Or do I actually just go back to triathlon and go to my bread and butter? I think she. I reckon she stay in marathon. You think? Yep. Why? Because it takes a long time to mature as a marathon runner, and I'll be surprised if she makes it next year. But another four years, she'll still be maturing as a runner. It's interesting. Remember, but, yeah. But would she? Mar- would, could she medal? I don't think she'll ever medal. Well, that's just. It's funny, isn't it? Because why? Like, different league. You know, whereas Olympics and triathlon. Oh yeah, I put money on it to get a medal. Yeah. I think it'll take a little while to get it, get her form back. But um, yeah, interesting, interesting dynamic. Okay, John. Um, hot topic of the week. So we were talking about Lucy Charles. Uh, if you were Lucy Charles, would you go to the Olympics or stick to Kona? And we did get some information about this, but we'll kind of talk about this well, first. It was kind of ironic that I actually asked this question last week, and then. Last week, she actually did a sort of meet and greet question and answer at a bike, I think it was a bike shop somewhere in the UK, and discussed this uh, exact point. She knew we were talking about it. She did know we were talking about it. So, we'll just go for a few answers. Michael Turner's got, I have a crack. You're only there once, don't die wondering. Oh, I forgot to write down. I, I actually tallied up how many people said go for it and don't go for it, and from memory... It was about two thirds of people said go for it out of uh, people that have posted and had definitive answers. Okay. About two thirds said go for it, and about one third said uh, don't. Another third were discussing it on a slightly different angle. Uh, Carl Haynes, hundred percent. The experience would be something money can't buy, something you can tell your grandkids about. Plenty of time to mature and have a crack at Kona. Wait, so you can go again, John, because mine's just stuffed up on me. Okay. Uh, David Meenan, if she'd be happy to go as a domestique, then yes. She would be at the front of the swim, swallowed up on the bike, and there's and there's no no way nowhere near a good enough runner to be challenging for a medal. Okay, Lucy Francis has got no, I would stick with Ironman, draft legal, Olympics or sprint racing, they're a different kettle of fish. Uh, Dan Dickinson, stick to long course, win it loads after Reef retires, then be an Ironman legend. That said, if I'm honest, I do find uh, it a little disrespectful to the current short course girls who have been working uh, at it almost since childhood. Oh, God, don't feel sorry for people. Dan, if they're, they're not good enough, tough shit. Uh, then, again, if you're good enough, I suppose you shouldn't have to worry about her taking your slot. Alan Lightfoot's got, uh, I was at a oh, Q&A question, oh, he talked about it, so we'll kind of go into that later on. Uh, Kylie Cox goes, don't die wondering, I guess, give the Olympics a go. Didn't harm Braden Curry to see if he had it. Luke uh, Gilmore, she should try a couple of WTS races and see if she is in the ballpark and then decide she has a swim and bike pace. Not sure she has a 10k run speed though. Good old Jim Shorts has a Shorts answer and his answer is long course. Right. <laughs> That's it. So we've got a, a variety of answers. As I said, more said go for it rather than don't. Now, 
what I will say is Lucy Charles, I looked up, I knew she'd done some park runs, or quite quite regularised park runs. She's run uh, 1646 for, for a park run, assuming that's accurate. That gives you a 10k of sort of an, an, a 34 something. You know, it depends how, how well you can convert your 5 to, to a 10k. Uh, oh, there we go. I did actually write down 15 people said go to the Olympics, 6 said to stick to, to Ironman. So 1646, as I said, gives you about a 34-something 30, run split. As a number of people have pointed out, that's not going to be winning your races, but it's certainly competitive enough to be in the front third of the race. So to give some perspective to that, Andrea Hewitt last year, she ran 34-38 at our, uh, our road champs locally, which is a, a really solid split. And Andrea at the moment is not at the front of the field, but she's not that far off when she's yep. fit and healthy. Uh, and so if you think Gwen Jorgensen, without doing short course training, is running pretty similar to Andrea, then she's going to be competitive. Mm. Uh, I guess the big challenge is qualifying for the Great Britain team is pretty bloody hard. Uh, so this wasn't a question whether she could medal at the Olympics, whether she could make that transition and actually do well enough to, to be in the mix for Commonwealth Games. So Tim Hemming actually did an interview with her on, what was it, uh, I can't remember, two, 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 Oh, triathlon magazine he's just got here um, just so you had a bit of a yarn to her about the Topico Olympics and she will stick with triathlon or a long distance I was in Lanzarote for a feature for a few weeks back and here is the, kind of the key takeaways she did consider doing it British triathlon offered her an ITU race start in early summer which if had she won would, given, would have given her a starting spot in one of the 2019 events Yokohama or Tokyo uh, over the winter, she made the decision to stick with Ironman. She'll be racing South Africa, wrote, and then Hawaii for her full, full distances. She hasn't ruled out the 2024 Olympics in Paris. She will still only be 30 years old by then. British triathlon Olympic qualification is tough. Triathletes need to uh, podium both in Yamaha, Yokohama, Yokohama sorry, and uh, Tokyo to gain automatic qualification selection. The only exemption to this is the Brownlee brothers and Vicky Holland because they previously won Olympic medals. They only need to podium in one of these races. The remaining slots will be sorted in 2020. On the women's side, Britain always have Vic, already have Vicky Holland, Georgia Taylor Brown, Sophie Cordwell, uh, Non Stanford, Jody Stimson, uh, Jess Learmouth, and Beth Potter, plus the possibility of a young and promising juniors coming through. So up there with the Americans, it's probably as tough as it's going to get with qualification. So and, he's, um, and I'll put a link to his interview that he did on Try Two Two Zero. Uh, so yeah, Tim's, Tim's often running for a 220 triathlon, so check it out. He does some fantastic yeah, he really does. Uh, articles in there. So yeah, my opinion, if she was any other country, I'd be saying go for it. So she's a Kiwi, you're going for it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I, I know that he you know, um, mentions a lot of really solid names in there. You know, If the d dice rolled in a particular way, I think she'd be a chance, but that's not having ever seen her do an Olympic distance race. I think she's got the skills potentially to make it. And if, if I was in her shoes, I, I, if you could keep your sponsors on board so you've got some good revenue coming in, uh, I think it would be worth rolling the dice just to see if you have got a, a remote chance of making it or not. Because um, I actually think it will help her own distance racing as well. If she said, right, I'll do six months uh, of training to see if I, what I can do in a short course race, uh, I think that will actually help her kind of performance. So I'd say go for it. I wouldn't. Hmm? I wouldn't if I was, like, <laughs> I don't know. I just think that she's her trajectory and her long course career is pretty impressive and pretty exciting. Um, Daniela, she does seem the next person 
once Daniel has gone, have done, and Daniel's probably going to have three or four years. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I, I just think, and also, oh, I love it when you're wrong and I'm right. Well, let's not, well I'm right because she's following my path. So let's be <laughs> right about that. She's wrong. Um, oh, she's wrong. Yeah, <laughs> she's wrong about her own career because she's not going to be that much. She's not going to be that successful in ITU. No, no, it's a, it's yeah. She's it's, it's a bit of the Gwyn Jorgensen again, isn't it? It's a bit of a roll of the dice. Who knows how? Yeah. I don't think she, she's not going to be a dominant player. She's not going to be dominant like she is. And what's your job Ironman. as a professional athlete? Wow, that's a good question. So it is to make money. Uh, it's to make a career. It's to be successful, but you want when, she's, when, she's when just, she's just another when, athlete in the British team. Yeah, but when you're fifty and you're looking back on your career, would you have gone? Shit, I could have gone to the Olympics when you won Kona five times. She's not going to win five times. This, not oh, start, if Daniela Reef was around, would she win Kona five not times? Not starting this year, she ain't. No, but she's how old? 23? Yeah, that's the thing. She's got so many years. If she was 28, I'd be on the same page as you. Uh, but she's only 24, and I think she's got so much development. She's got and I wins, think the short course side of uh, training and racing would actually help her long course uh, ability in terms of the skills she'd need to develop. So... Kevin's wrong, I'm right. Lucy, I you're think, wrong I think, as well. Uh, Lucy, it's nice to see you listening to me. It's nice to see you agree with the legend that I am. John, we need to go because we've got the interview. Okay, let's do it. We'll pause, we'll be back in a second. And we are back and Lucy Charles just called me and said, Bevan, you're right. <laughs> we weren't even <laughs> gone though, Bevan. <laughs> well, well, no, we, 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 we interviewed so while she texted me actually, she said, Bev, I know what you're talking about. You're right. So thank oh. you very much, Lucy. Uh, John, this week's topic, I like this one, you've come up here. So it's, uh, the topic this week is... We want you to count up all your Ironman finishes and what ratio of your finishes have been awesome, above average, average, below average, and terrible. So for example, you had 10% awesome, 10% above average, 10% average, 40 below average, and 30% terrible. Doesn't need to be exact science here. Just want to see if the old bell curve is in action. Um, <laughs> I was watching something the other day. Adam Savage, did you watch Mythbusters? I've seen it. I've seen it. I've watched it. But he was I've talking seen about, someone asked him why the show finished, and, and he mentioned the bell curve. And, and I thought, there's John Houston for you. I don't think mine is going to. I haven't added mine up yet, but I, it's going to be bell shaped, sort of, but uh, it's not going to be a perfect bell curve. I think mine's. You've got a pretty small sample size. I had seven, didn't I? Yeah. Seven Ironman. How many do you have? How many you done? I think, I think I'm up to about 10, I think. Yeah, but most people are going to have a pretty small sample size. They are. What have you done in one? You Sorry? have to break into segments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> First part was terrible, but I finished strong. Like it's a, just so, so often, you just see so many terrible races at Ironman, and I'm just wondering. What, but what the, what's a terrible race? Oh, when you have a meltdown. When you, I don't race. think I've ever had a terrible race. Mm, I have. <laughs> I've had races which, you know, I think I've had a couple below averages. Yeah. Um, I don't have an awesome race. Well, we'll talk about it next week. Yes. Good discussion. Okay, John's sponsor. Extreme Endurance. Let's talk about it. Last week, I can distinctly remember it. We recorded the show on Tuesdays over here. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't on Tuesday. It was on Thursday, but I still distinctly remember it. I've restarted my study. And actually, uh, question here for, for listeners. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a research. I've got to do a bit of a um, review of the literature out there, and I'm going to look into low-carb, high-fat, um, which I know we're, people have harped on about, and there's a lot of anecdotal Evidence are, you, are you still doing it? Sorry? Are you doing it? Uh, I, I'm lower carb, um, but I want to know what if there's any a lot of really good research. I've seen some review papers and what have you, um, but some more recent stuff around low-carb, high-fat, and I'm more interested in trying to look at long course racing than short course stuff, and a lot of the testing has really been anaerobic. Uh, so 
uh, in a lot of the, the the earlier research, it's pretty easy to pull um, you know pull it to pieces and go, yeah, it's not the best uh, example there. So if, if you do know of any really good case studies for and against uh, or research for low carb, high fat, just flick them through to us on email. It'd be great to have. Okay. Uh, and then I can, once I've do done my review, which will be at the end of the year, um, we should be good. I'll have a bit of discussion. Who's that? Who's that? Someone, he's, just, he's, not yeah. even, he's not even talking it's to Mike you guys. Mike Phillips. He's still at the hospital. How long is he going to be? Some hurry up. He, he, he might, yeah, it should be out in about 30 minutes. Okay. We've got 30 minutes to kill. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Back to the sponsor, sponsor though. Yeah. So I was sitting in my um, first class of the semester and uh, class of two. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not making profit so of this one. That's why politics are going under. Pretty intimate. Uh, and I was going, Shit. I'm getting sick. What happens if you don't turn up to next week? There's only one person here. It's, I know, it is a bit, uh, wow. bit awkward. It, and what, so it's only two all semester? Yeah, because they're, trying, they're, they're, closing, they're, they're shutting the course down. Uh-huh. Um, there's not enough applicants for this Obviously. postgraduate. <laughs> no, for the degree there is, but for the postgraduate. Uh-huh. And so there's just two of us who have got to finish our um, papers and, uh, and so it's a class of two. Mm. So back to, back to sitting in this class, I was, you know when you can just feel yourself going, shit, I've got a little bit of a sore throat here. Yep. The nose is running. It actually happened as I was going through the class and I was biking home going, oh no, I'm going to get sick. What am I going to do? I've just, ding got, ding. just got back into training and I thought, right, I'm hitting the immune boost hard and I'm doing get I cranked a really good diet for a few days, boom, didn't kick on, got rid of it. Time after time this happens to me with immune boost, don't get sick very often, but if I ever feel anything coming on, I just start pumping it and uh, it really seems to make a big difference in terms of me fending off any minor sickness. Uh, so check it out guys, xendurance.com, use the promo code IMTALK25 and uh, get yourself a good discount and yeah, keep yourself fit and healthy so then you can train consistently. I was pumped when I got out because Blinda was coming down with it as well. Oh, I'm getting on top of this. And Felicity I'm, I'm came Blinda. down with it. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so yeah, check it out, xendurance.com. I've got a question for you. So, so like, have you been a fad jumper? Uh, a, a little bit, but all the fads that I have jumped on, I've kind of stayed on. Um, but maybe we just don't discuss them. So a few that, that come to mind straight away for me is barefoot running. Um, that was a fad that is no one's talking about it now. No. I'm still a real big advocate. It's just the practicalities of it is sometimes. But you don't do it, do you? Uh, I sometimes do a bit of grass running, and if I had an environment where I could really comfortably do it, I would do more of it. If I lived by a beach, that uh, I would definitely be doing it. Uh, so that's one. The other one is low carb, high fat, and uh, and I'm uh, kind of on the fence in that in terms of uh, it's more on an individual case by case basis. But Are you getting into the intermittent fasting? That's the big no, fad right no, now. I'm not into that. No, yeah. that I I haven't looked into it, but it, um, I don't want to punish myself like that. Yeah. Uh, but what, when we have looked at the high low carb, low carb high fat, then I've sort of more, moved much more towards the sort of periodized nutrition. Uh, and what was the other one that I was thinking of? Run walk. We don't talk about that that much. Um, but I'm still a massive proponent of uh, of doing the run walk, and I think it, for most athletes you'll get to the finish line quicker and it will help reduce your injury. So those are the three that spring to mind that we've discussed quite a bit on the show that um, we don't, maybe don't talk about that much. It's just there's so many people are fair jumpers and, and, and it's like I'm not a fair jumper. Like, like this, I evolve in areas, but like would have, particularly, I'm particularly talking about food now um, and I've kind of just learned a formula that works in my life. But I just kind of, I'm just kind of curious to see does the fair jumper, because a lot of people who are fair jumpers are ultimately trying to find a solution to the answer they want mm-hmm. and they often don't get there. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? It might be weight loss. It might be... Now, I'm sure there's plenty of examples in all feds of people who have gained the gain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like right now, everyone's... Weight loss is all about keto. You know, yeah. everyone, everyone's talking keto. If you want to lose weight, get on keto. Keto, keto this and the keto that. And it's like, you know, it's just... I'm a fan. Five years from now, what's going to be the next thing? thing with keto and stuff like that is you do lose weight really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so addictive. You go, sweet, I'm on it. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow. We actually ended up getting Mike Phillips after we recorded the show, so we've got him put up the interview in right now. So here is 2019 Ironman New Zealand champion Michael Phillips from Christchurch. Enjoy the interview. Here we go. That's done. Okay, guys, uh, we have Ironman New Zealand champion from the weekend. Uh, literally just walked out of hospital, uh, and he had an amazing race at the weekend, though. But he's going to have a bit of downtime. Mike Phillips, welcome to the show. Cheers, John. Um, before we go on to your race, uh, you know, we, we, we heard afterwards you had a little bit of a bike incident um, during the event. So tell us what happened and tell us what has happened since. Yeah, so I had um, actually a couple of problems with my bike. I just got some of those uh, the wedges for the arm pads yeah. on the, um, just the, to angle the pads up a wee bit just so I could lean into them a bit more and... Um, They've been fine for the last few weeks. I've been using them, and then of course, you know, race day. I guess the roads at Chapel are pretty rough, and the screws I used probably weren't quite long enough, and so they came undone about 20 k's in. And I was riding along, just holding the pads, trying to stop them from falling off, and um, asking for the mechanics. So that, I was really lucky that they were able to radio the um, the roaming mechanic, and he came up in a car and uh, stopped on the we stopped on the side of the road and just um, fixed those up, and we had to put. Um, put some screws in just to hold them down and um you know i probably only lost a couple of minutes there but that was um that was my first um, misfortune and then um later on in the race at the halfway mark i was trying to get back to Terenzo and Braden because i sort of saw them as as my yardstick for the day and um i came into that hot corner in town yeah yep. and didn't really break for it i thought i kind of had a bit more road to turn on to than i did it just went straight into the barrier <laughs> on the other side so. <laughs> right in front of everyone as well so it was pretty embarrassing <laughs> but, um, yeah I was, I was really lucky my bike literally didn't have a scratch on it and um i got back on and just lost my chain a couple of times but apart from that my bike was fine so yeah and um, did you realize the hand was pretty yeah. bad at that moment no, no, I just, I just wanted to get out. Like I was lying on the road and everyone was watching, and I was like, "Shit, I need to get out of here. This is something embarrassing." <laughs> <laughs> like after that, my hand was pretty sore, especially trying to grab bottles or uh, hold the bars and stuff. Cause the roads at Tapa aren't great. Like there's a lot of potholes and stuff like that. So, but you know, that was the last thing I was really worried about. I was just trying to get going again and um, get back in the race. Mm-hmm. So, so talk us talk us through your race. You know, you, you're a good swimmer, so you, you're out of the swim with the the main contenders. You obviously had your challenge, you know, halfway on the bike. When I know you're you're riding, um, well, you're, earlier you'd been riding with them, and then you're trying to chase them down. So, I, I guess, you know, maybe tell us about you know the second half of the bike, and then and then sort of going onto the run, and and what was sort of going through your mind coming off the bike. Yeah, so I guess my goal for the day was to. You know, I kind of see Terenzo and Braden as the guys setting a standard in New Zealand, you know, pushing that kind of top five in Kona at the moment. So they were kind of who I wanted to stick around for as much of the day as I could. And, um, so, you know, everything was going to plan until that first week must happen. You know, I was, I think I was around three minutes down on them or maybe just under at the first turn. 
and then that was down to just under a minute 30 when I came back through town when I crashed again. And um, so I'd made my way past all the other guys that I'd jumped off by then. And um, I tried to get them to to, um, to ride together, but they just I, I think they were pretty keen on sticking to their numbers and not trying to trying to push it too much. So I ended up just by myself. And um, after that second uh, incident, I sort of lost a bit of motivation and was, struggled for a wee bit and my power was starting to drop and um you know I'd been riding kind of above my half power until then and um so that was that was really tough for me and the wind was picking up and um but I was quite lucky that my mate Matt Burden caught me at about 130k and we were able to ride together for just 20k or so before he was a bit too strong for me on that last leg but um it was actually pretty funny because I was riding up that last ride to come to the town I thought oh someone's got Terenzo's suit on, you know, he, I didn't know that people had matching suits with him and, and it was actually Terenzo himself, like he'd blown up too, so I was, you know, that when I saw him, I started getting a bit of motivation back and thought, you know, okay, I'm in fourth now, you know, I came into transition, it was only a minute 30 to Braden and I thought, you know, I can probably catch Matt on the run and, and get myself on the podium, which was my goal for the day, so, you know, I, I certainly had the motivation back as I started the run. And how were you feeling physically as you got off the bike? Uh, I was I was pretty dead by that stage, mainly just because I'd ridden so hard in that first portion. Um, but you know, I was happy to get off the bike. And when I started, like I think my first K was like three thirty, and the second one was like three twenty five or three twenty four or something. And I was like, oh shit, you know, this I need to just peg it back, and I feel quite comfortable. So the whole time I was just thinking about relaxing and just trying to carry good form and. You know, I knew there was 40k to run, and if the guys like Matt and Braden were actually running away from me at the start, like I did the first lap, and I think it was like 51 minutes, 51:15 or something, and they'd put time on me. So mm. I was kind of hoping that they were going too hard, and I was, you know, that I, I was probably going too hard myself. But you know, I think that's why I really paid the price for them later in the run. So going into the race, you know, realistically, what did you think you were capable of running? You know, you've typically sort of been around about that 250 sort of mark. So, you know. Yeah, so last year I ran 252 and I was pretty dead starting the run. You know, this year I've worked a lot on my running and I was really hoping to go in that mid to high 240 somewhere. So I was thinking kind of like 246, 247 would be a great run for me. And that was kind of my motivation as well. Like even though the bike was going to be shaped, I thought, you know, I want to get to this run and just see if that training I've been doing is actually working or whether, you know, just, just for my own kind of benefit so that I could tweak things if I needed to or, you know, do a diff- do something different. So, yeah. So you, so you start, you're feeling strong, you kind of control yourself. Talk us through your run. Um, so, yeah, I was running kind of that 3.45 pace, maybe just under and just relaxed and um I, I literally didn't really feel much until about the 30k mark on the run like my legs just felt fine i didn't feel any fatigue really and um i was just waiting to blow up and i thought you know i'll just keep going with it <laughs> and it just never really came like i think my slowest k was four minutes or something and you know i was still running 350 in the last few k when i passed um starkey so yeah it's one of those days i guess that you know i was, I was expecting myself to slow down and um, but when I sort of, the gaps to Starkey were coming down really consistently, like it was like 17 minutes the first lap, then uh, down to 12 after the after the first lap, and then six with one lap to go, and so, you know, it was looking like it would be a sprint finish, so I was like, oh, I'll just risk it all and try and win instead of, you know, I didn't want to 
I didn't want to uh, just settle for second and you know let study we wouldn't have heard the end of it from Starkey. So you know I thought I'd better risk it. What about when you, when you when you pass Braden? Like because you know Braden kind of you would have thought would be a, a stronger runner going into the race. Um, you know what was what going through your mind as you kind of started to understand that you were going to catch him and then pass him. Yeah, so I guess my focus was on Matt, and the time was coming down really slowly. He was in third at this point, and I was in fourth. And it was coming down really slowly until that sort of 16, 17k mark, and then it sort of started coming down, you know, 15 seconds a k or something. And I got to him, and, you know, um, then someone said, oh, Braden's only a minute in front of him. And I thought, you know, he must be slowing down because he was about two and a half minutes in front of me at, early on in that marathon. Mm. And um, I was like, shit, if he's lost a minute 30 to me in the last kind of six or seven Ks, that's quite a lot of time. And um, I just kept doing what I was doing and ran straight past him. And he tried to come with me for a few hundred meters. But, you know, I was running that much faster that I didn't think I needed to surge or anything like that. You know, if he's if he's going from four minutes back down to 340, then, you know, it can't last too long. So I just tried to stick to what I was doing. And I guess, you know, seeing all those videos, Cam Brown putting up where he's run down, yeah. 16 minute leads or whatever you know I just thought you know every time it's paid off for him so I'm just gonna do something similar and hopefully I can um, keep this pace for a bit longer so you've won you know the, the last 12 months or so you, you've gone from getting podiums to to winning consistently um when you sort of passed Starkey and once you dropped him you know what was uh, what was sort of going through your mind at that stage uh, I couldn't really believe it I guess you know early on the day when when my arm pads came loose, I thought came loose. I thought, you know, shit, I've completely cooked this day. You know, I was, I was like, you know, there's plenty more races I can go to, and you know, thinking along those lines. Yeah. And um, so to to actually realise that I could get on the podium first was like a big shock. I was actually like, wow, like you know, I'm actually going to be able to do have a good race today. And then, you know, once I passed Dark, it was just incredible because I passed it just before you come up off that uh, cobbled section. Yes, yep. yeah. and um, up along the front there, and there's heaps of friends and stuff watching along there, you know. And it was, I didn't really think about it too much until I got to that point that you know, I just tried to focus on what I was doing, and when it actually became kind of like, wow, I'm actually going to win, it was pretty, pretty unreal, you know, especially yeah. with those doubts earlier on in the day. Um, so how, how did the uh, how did the prize giving go afterwards? You know, were you, were you more nervous about doing a speech in front of bloody a thousand people uh, compared to actually starting the race? <laughs> yeah, a wee bit. The worst was everyone shaking my hand. I wish I broke my left hand. Oh, true. <laughs> because I was trying to go in with the left hand or like give it the knuckles or something. And, you know, some people just don't really accept that they reach over the top of your left hand and squeeze your right one. I was like, oh, God, like... And you can't say anything in front of everyone. So. Hey, just just a couple. But no, of it's good, you know. Oh, you go, go, really, you got to, really, you got to take like take my hat off to Starkey. Like, I don't know what kind of power he was riding, but it would have been over three fifty easily. Uh, you know, yeah. to ride four twelve, the conditions weren't fast. Yeah. To ride that kind of time and see Torenzo and stuff break, trying to, you know, keep him within reach is is incredible. And he actually ran pretty good. Like, yeah. I was actually not too worried about him going on to the run. Yeah. I thought it would be Braden winning and then, you know, I might be able to pick up Starkey. But, you know, three hours on that course when you've ridden a 412 is pretty solid. Yeah. Exactly. You just know, a, he, he talked a lot of shit before the race, but, you know, he actually went out there and did it. Just, just on, on a personal level, um, what's it, 
there's a something shift in you in, in the kind of inner you because of this you know like because i imagine you know for for you i mean kona is probably the, the goal each year and then i mean new zealand is you know and, and the is kind of the, the second race you want to do really well in. Um, and also, it was a strong field this year. Y- your run was just blinding fast. D- yeah. is, there a, is there a new level of belief that comes from this for you? Yeah, it's funny because on the run, you know, I didn't actually really believe I could do it. And everyone on the side of the course is like, you'll get him. You know, like even Cam Brown, he, he'd had a rough day and pulled out. And he was out on the course and he was like, mate, you can get him. Like, you know, get after it. And I was like, you know, wow, I could. You know, it wasn't actually until later in the race I started kind of believing that I could do it. But, um, you know, all these guys out there giving me support was unreal. But for me also, like, you know, John probably knows a lot more, but running was always my weakness, you know. Like, I worked a lot on my running and swimming and biking was always not really too much of a concern. Like, you know, it was always the the running holding me back. And now I'm getting people saying, you know, running specialist Mike Phillips. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's you, you... for me. You talk about how you've worked on your running in the last period of time. What have you done to improve it? Because 240 is, is the top of the game. So what have you done to improve it? I think um, the main thing for me has been consistency. I've been getting like good good volume and consistently good volume. And also, I think it was nutrition as well. Like I've been working a bit on just trying to have that extra energy, like you know, maintain my energy levels quite a bit better and become more efficient. Um which I think has a lot to do with my um, performance on the weekend was nutrition and also just that consistent running volume. Awesome. Now, you know, let's say you hadn't broken your hand. Um, what was What's your sort of plan for the rest of the year? Um, and I know you won't have processed given that you only found out about half an hour ago, but, you know, is it sort of all eyes on Kona now or, or what's, what's your, what do you think your plan is um, so going to be? I've got, yeah, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't confident in getting the Kona spot there, so I guess I was thinking that I'd do um, something like Ironman Switzerland that I'd done last year, and of course, there kind of suits me. Um, but now, I guess I've got some more options. It's sort of, I think I'm in this cast for four weeks, so I've got a few half Ironman booked in already. Um, Challenge Melbourne in six weeks or five weeks, so I think I might be doing that with the cast cut off mm-hmm. before I fly but um, <laughs> you know I can I think I'll still be able to get on the trainer and um, do a bit of running so um, and then I have the 70.3 Asia Pacific camps in Vietnam after that one in early May I think and I think Patrick Langer and stuff are racing there too so that'll be a good team especially nice. in the heat as well I think that's another thing I need to um, keep working on is how do I how do I run in the heat that pace that I ran at at New Zealand there. Just, just, just lastly, what's that feeling of running up the finishing line shoot, knowing you've won? Uh, it's incredible, you know, even that whole, it was packed that whole last 2K, and, you know, just having people, you know, it didn't really kind of feel real, like, um, you know, I've won the 70.3 and stuff there, and that, even that felt like, you know, pretty unreal, so... It's pretty cool, you know. The, the um, crowd was definitely loud, but I think they were they were all pretty happy. I uh, passed Starkey, and um, actually quite funny. His coach said to me, um, "There was a bunch of Kiwis all getting fired up," and and he um, on the last lap when it was still six minutes, he went past them and said, "You know, I told you so." So the Andrews got it in the bag, and um, then when I came back through past them, I just passed them, you know, and they were. And they were all giving the, the coach a bunch of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Oh, no, everybody down here Bloody in Christchurch, you, Christ you're proud of you. So nice work. And, uh, 
and we will look forward to seeing what you can unravel for the rest of the year. Yeah, cool, John. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Anywho, um, we've got an interview coming up. John, which one we'll put on? Well, we'll see if Mike comes on later on. So we'll put on the interviews. We've got two interviews back to back. And who are they, Jombo? So we've got Barry Shepley. Um, Legend. Yeah, one of the voices of Iron Man. Oh, not Iron Man, of Short Course Racing. We have had Barry on Legends of Triathlon podcast. And that podcast is going to keep just coming and going a little bit. We'll just, whenever the opportunity arises, I'm getting people on there. Uh, but Barry's on there and he's a great interview. But the quality of these two calls, we, they were over the phone um, as opposed to Skype. So quality might be a little bit marginal but they're talking through Barry and then also Bob uh, Nucky uh, Bob did Kona last year 70 to 74 age group and you're going to hear all about that and uh, there's also a great clip we'll have on our show notes uh, really showing the final stages of Bob's race which is pretty dramatic okay here we go here's some great interviews Okay, guys, um, we've got, you guys will know him as one of the many voices of triathlon, um, Barry Shepley on the line. He's, you know, you've, you've heard a lot of him on uh, ITU coverage over the years, but a lot of you may not know that he's also a fantastic coach. And we had an email through from uh, good old Robert Flynn telling us that you may be interested in having a chat to Barry and one of his athletes, Bob. And uh, slightly, Bob is towards the older age group of the field and we'll find out more about that um so barry welcome along back to the show thank you i'm actually sitting in my car in the middle of a blizzard here in canada so uh, <laughs> i'm on about the opposite end of the of the season uh, that you are right now absolutely um so tell us about you got bob and um nucky and he won the 70 to 74 age group in kona last year but tell us a little bit about um Bob and how you came about coaching him and a little bit about the journey towards last year's uh, Ironman World Champs. Yeah, now when we say, you know, one Hawaii, to break 12 hours in Hawaii as a 70-year-old man was just mind-boggling. And this literally was a 10-year project. So, you know, we all have athletes who have a hard time keeping focus for two or three weeks or a couple-month goal. But to have a guy set essentially a 10-year goal that we refined after five years and then the last 12 months leading into Kona last year, he trained as hard, as focused, as hungry as Cameron Brown, as Terenzo Bazzoni, as Lionel Sanders. Uh, it, it was spectacular to watch. And I met him when he was in his mid-50s. He was finishing up a run workout. And the classic guy who's been running for too many years start to kind of show that the hips and knees are getting a bit tender, a little bit sore. So I, we chatted at the end of a workout and realized that uh, although this park was about 40 miles from where we both lived, that we essentially lived in the same town of about 8,000 uh, people. And he lived probably about 20 minutes from me. So we, we decided to hook up. He didn't know how to ride a bike. He had never swam a meter, but he was a very, very good runner. He had won the Toronto Marathon overall in 1976 in a, you know, fairly pedestrian pace now, but two hours, 28 minutes. So not bad for kind of like a 38 to 40 year old guy who was a full-time school teacher. So he now was 15 years later than that, starting to show some injuries. And I was telling him about this triathlon business. And all that he knew was that he loved to train. And so if he wanted to keep it going, maybe he needed to freshen and change things up. So we 
spend a bit of time to get them on a bike as people pick up the bike very quickly, as you know, and they start loving seeing 30K, 40K, 80K from home. So he was loving doing the distance that uh, would leave him feeling happy the next day, not beaten up after a 22 or 23 mile Sunday run that he'd been used to for so many years. And the biggest gap was getting him into the water. So I, I took him to Hawaii uh, five years ago and he had, a, I think, a fourth place finish in Hawaii. So not, certainly not a terrible position by any means, but he was 20 minutes off the pace. He still wasn't a particularly great swimmer. And he was a complete racer, no intelligence, just the gun goes as hard as he could go for as long as he could go. And that was basically kind of the process. So in that 10 year window of time, now that we're talking, uh, he had, he got prostate cancer and he literally, we had had him signed up for his first ever Ironman in Wisconsin in America. And uh, he had less than three months after the, the surgery, pretty radical surgery. Most guys would have written the season off. He decided, you know, I'm going to go try this. It was his first triathlon was was the Ironman in Wisconsin. So that taught me all that I needed to know about his mental toughness. Uh, and then after his trip to, to Hawaii, where he was, I think, fifth, he, uh, we said, look, like, do you want to really have that one incredible moment where you will never look back and say, I could have been fitter, I could have been smarter, I could have done something different. And so it was wonderful as a, an elite coach to find somebody that was that committed to being world-class. And so we set a five-year goal to improve all three aspects of swim, his bike. And although we were never going to run a 228 marathon again to make him as competitive as he could be as a, as a 70 year old. So the first objective was to qualify. So he went to Ironman, Texas, which was for if anyone was there, uh, it was a bit of a schmozzle. There was drafting mm-hmm. on the course. There was all kinds of things. Uh, but nonetheless, he had a ridiculously fast time under 11 hours. Um, and there was only one spot. So there was a big famous American guy that was going there, thought he was going to get the spot easily. And when he got to the finishing line, Bob had already taken a shower and had his <laughs> burger. So, uh, so we got the sub 11 hours in on a very odd day with all kinds of crazy stuff in Texas, but he got his spot. So that now left us the next four and a half months to do everything one could do to prepare. So we used the power meters with incredible religious, uh, you know, experience to make sure that we knew exactly what wattage he would be able to manage for the entire bike ride. And then the most important thing, which a lot of people thought we did that was maybe a little bit frivolous, uh, we, we were able to do a GoFundMe page of a whole bunch of age groupers in Canada that love Bob and wanted to see what a 70-year-old could do. And so with the few extra dollars that the GoFundMe helped us, we went to Mount Tremblant to simply swim, bike, and run for 10K. So that's a pretty expensive entry for a training day. Uh, but it was critical in my mind to give him the chance to make mistakes and to customize his nutrition. And once again, he was the lap dog that went out too hard on the bike, about 20 watts harder than he should have been, paid for the price in the second half of the bike in Tremblant. And so we had to have a serious coach to athlete heart to heart. Look, you put all this time in. I think you're the fittest guy in the world, but I think you may not be the most intelligent athlete in the world and you're going to screw this up by not following a plan. So finally he decided, look, I will follow to the watt. He had a mantra, you know, six minute kilometers for the entire run, uh, 155 watts for the entire bike ride, you know, swim efficiently 
nutrition every 50 minutes. So we had those little things written down. We repeated them thousands of times, went and did a final heat preparation camp in, in Tucson, Arizona, where I have a base set up in America. And uh, he, he was spectacular, a 200 kilometer ride in 102 degree heat, a 33 kilometer run in 555 kilometer pace, looked amazing. Got to Hawaii in enough time. Uh, we brought a group of 30 Canadians over. We're all from the same club, so they would be on the course cheering with signs and so forth. So uh, he has a great swim and showed intelligence for the first time in, in self-control on the bike. He had a couple guys ahead of him that we knew would blow up, and uh, they went too hard because you can on the bike, as you know, for 80 or 90, 100K. So he came off the bike, I think, with a 540-plus uh, bike split, so well under six hours. Started with a four-minute lead onto the run, uh, and the guy that we knew from Austria that was going to be chasing him down, the two of them literally kept a, about a kilometer gap between each other for the next you know, four hours of, mm-hmm. of grinding. And there's out-and-back course parts of the course, so you see each other. They knew who each other were. You know, this was not unlike a Dave Mark kind of a battle. These are two 70-year-old guys who both wanted to break 12 hours. Uh, Bob, fortunately, was the only one that did. He was 11.55. Uh, but it was, it was spectacular to see a 70-year-old setting the goals that a Terenzo or a Cameron would do, the preparation, the family support, the medical work. And so even though I've had the luxury of working with elite athletes for many years, at Ironman, at ITU World Champs, it was as satisfying to see a 70-year-old have that almost virtually perfect day. And the weather obviously was on his side. It was as good as you could ever ask for. But to break 12 hours as a, as a 70-year-old man is just so ridiculously special. And then we're in the middle of doing a documentary. They've been following him for a year. With 400 meters to go, he was so excited that he knew he was going to be close to that kind of 12-hour barrier that he just drilled himself down the, the steep hill at pay and save hill coming back into town and his legs started to literally tighten up and spasm up and when he passed me on a leaky drive he was on a uh karen smyers you know bent over uh Billy moss look and i thought oh my god he's got a you know a 10 minute lead he's gonna he could break 12 hours but he literally fell smash his face into the ground, cut his glasses. And this is all with 250 meters to go. Oh, no. Yes. So I'm like, oh, my God, there's a medical guy who's going to pull this guy off the course after a 10-year goal, nailing it you know, to 300 meters from the finishing line. So it wasn't until he literally got across the line that I could finally you know, have my less than you know, heart attack at the finish. So it was it was breathtaking. The documentary is going to be incredible. You know, overcoming cancer. He had all kinds of other issues that he had to deal with in his life, as everybody does. So it wasn't a simple thing. He's not a rich man, uh, but he was rich in friends. He was deep in heart. And Hawaii tends to have those kinds of stories that, as you and I know, don't often get told because you're up front watching Patrick Lang and Lionel Sanders and Daniela Reef, and you maybe don't get to watch these incredible stories of 50, 60, 70 year old athletes. And so for me, this was one of the highlights of my 35 years of coaching, watching a 70 year old guy break 12 hours, you know, in Hawaii. For, from a coaching perspective, what, what are the challenges you face? You know, you, you've met 
um, Bob when he's you know um, six sixty ish or in his late fifties. Yep. You know, how does the the athlete change? You know, and obviously they change massively from your thirties, forties, and so on. But say you know, try to contrast say like a fifty year old who thinks their body's breaking down in their past and had enough. To, to a 70 year old and, and how you adapt a plan and just the things that people might not understand of coaching a 70 sure. year old I've never coached a 70 year old I wouldn't have a clue um, what they have well, to deal the with biggest, the, the, the biggest things were uh, strength training so we mm. he, when you if I put a you know a, a bag over his head and, and brought him out in front of you in a bathing suit you'd probably say 45 so he we kept spectacular amount of muscle on him which allowed him to be powerful in the water powerful on the bike so that means good nutrition recovering after workout so that you're not catabolizing your muscle mass it meant doing the right kinds of strength training we don't want to turn them into a bodybuilder you got to carry that mass you know on the bike and on the run so the strength training was important he did my wife's yoga class religiously twice a week and laughed and said that when he was hitting the ground falling 300 meters from the ground a finish line the his knowledge of downward dog allowed him to get back up off the, off the pavement to get to the finishing line. So his suppleness from yoga was critical. Uh, I can't tell you how important the GoFundMe funds allowed me to have the proper massages that he needed in that last 90 days, because as a fairly modest income, he would have, I know, neglected those things. And so when we were in our training camp in Arizona, Every third day, I literally had the massage therapist show up at the house as we came back from the 33K run. The therapist was there. So he had the same kind of treatment that, you know, that Terenzo or Cameron would have in their middle of their big, hardest training blocks. So the medical was, was critical. Having sparring partners was really important. Uh, and I, I've run camps where guys like at 35, they can't believe five hours in this 70 year old man is still going 34 kilometers an hour. Wow. And as they start to fade, they're now getting on his wheel for the last 15 kilometers, embarrassingly getting pulled back home. So having sparring partners was really, really important. And I would say almost as important as everything else was listening to his body. So, um, I definitely had him on the low end of running. You know, he swam a lot because he had not been a great swimmer, but he became a great swimmer by the time we got there. So he, we spent a lot of time on technical efficiency, not just kind of plowing bad meters, but learning how to actually swim proper. Um, he's fortunate that because he had run so many years that he loved to hurt. So getting on a bicycle to push, you know, 175 watts for three hours or four hours was not a problem. Um, but our biggest fight for two years was on me holding him back running. And, you know, he, he was used to going out doing 22 mile runs for 25 years as a marathoner. And here suddenly, you know, I'm making him run 20 K and then get on a Stairmaster for 10 K, you know, for 25, 30 minutes or run 25 K and then get on uh, into our, our pond for water running for a half an hour. So I really had to watch the running. And I think if you look at most of your 55, 60, 70 year old Kiwis, um, you're going to need to watch and monitor their running because that's where knees and Achilles and, and those kinds of things are going to start to come. So he got there healthy. And I think if you don't get an athlete to the starting line healthy, the chances of them having a great race are going to be fairly modest. And that's what I would take the greatest pride in, that I really monitored him to make sure that he got there healthy. He had friends and family around him. He was in a happy place. Uh, and he just, he wasn't nervous on race day, at least that I could see. I mean, there was the pressure that he knew he was there to win, 
but you know, champions want that kind of pressure, and it was a kind of a good pressure. I think he used it to a positive. What's really interesting about his story is because often when you hear the really fast older people, is that they often have quite a, a, a lower athletic age. You know, they've started the sport a little bit later. They've kind of discovered some talent. They've got a bit more time, money, and you know, and their body's not so tired. Whereas being a runner for that long, you, you'd think that you know, a runner for a career of running at that intensity it would almost be impossible to hit these kind of levels. So it's pretty amazing that he managed through it, isn't it? Yeah, I would say if I had not met him in the two-year window I met him, it would have been a zero possibility. If he had gone five more years of trying to run, say, up to 60, as a runner only putting in, you know, 60, 70, 80, and he had, you know, he had 100-mile weeks when he was a younger man. But if he had continued to do that, I think he probably was within one to two years of being completely broken down mm. and would not have ever been able to run. So I, I think the nice part of what we were able to do is we caught him just, you know, when there was still something left in the running legs. And in that window of the next five or six years, there was so much opportunity to learn how to swim and to bike that he didn't. Uh, overly run because his time was being spent learning how to do a flip turn and you know how to ride a bike for uh, two or three hours at 35k an hour so he was getting his fix of adrenaline but it wasn't all through running and yet because of the muscle memory we could get away with less running miles and still when he needed to go deep into a dark place you know he his muscles remembered how to kind of run tired and, and sore for two, three, four miles at the end of uh, a half. So he won two seventy point three world championships. He's a silver medalist at the Olympic distance. Uh, and now he's the Hawaii Ironman world champ and fastest guy, you know, in 70. And so we've got one more goal now. He, he's just got this pawny little silver medal at the Olympic distance world. So he's <laughs> hoping to go to Edmonton to see if he can have a, a gold in all three of the categories before he uh, takes up bowling or whatever he'll do next. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just in terms of his typical training week, I know you said a lot less running than what people might think, um, uh, a lot more swimming. So, you know, during a, a typical week, not in a camp or anything like that, what did Bob's schedule kind of look like? Yeah. So, um, first of all, in the in the cold part of the season, we were we have you know the classic trainers, indoor comfy trainers, and and uh, wahoos and so forth. So he he got incredibly strong from spending some good like you know we're talking some three three and a half hour sessions on the trainer uh which was just spectacular that he's mentally tough enough to do that and got the fitness but by the time we would get outside he would we would swim six days a week he would run three days a week that's it i only allowed him to run three days a week and we would bike four or up to five times a week depending on how that worked and then his couple dry land sessions etc and it was always at least one, two, three times a week of water running. So it could have been a swim finishing up with a water run because we have a, a beautiful little three-kilometer uh, retired sand quarry that's absolutely perfect for training in. So water temperature is great. You don't have to worry about boat traffic or anything else. It's, it's just used for our training squad just outside of Toronto. So he would definitely water run. He would only land run three times a week. And we literally kept the running uh, you know, at a low end. So I would, I'm, there wouldn't, wouldn't have been a training week of over 45, uh, kilometers until we got to probably eight weeks out because I, I knew that if we could get him as incredibly fit as possible and swim in the bike, that most 70 year olds are breaking down on the run. And so he already had probably a benefit on ev- almost everyone in the world over 70 that he, you know, not too many of them would have ever run a 228 marathon 
in their life. So he at least had that in his past. So he needed to make sure that he was going to be the fittest swim biker in the world. And he came off the bike with a four minute lead. So he did everything I could have asked, but he did it still having the ability to run incredibly well for 42 kilometers. And, you know, as much as I do to watch all of these athletes, you, you know, at any age uh, at Hawaii, is spectacular but then you start seeing the 60 65 70 75 there was an 85 year old this year who just snuck in from japan underneath the uh, the cutoff time and they're they're absolutely inspiring but you know when i watch bob i mean a sub 12 oh, is a good time for any age <laughs> like uh, any age and to do that at 70 uh is just absolutely remarkable so his his story is you know unique but it's not so unique that people can't relate they have their own goals it may be to get to the finishing line uh, your race your race is coming up this weekend is it not it Ironman? Is, yeah i'm in new zealand yeah. yeah yeah one of one of the greatest in the world i mean it's just it's such a treasure for you guys to have and uh, uh every every march i think about the good things that are happening in new zealand and all the people volunteers sponsors the wonderful athletes who are there. So uh, I'll be thinking about your wonderful place this weekend. So you, you mentioned um, the, the, we'll put a link to the little um, trailer for the documentary. So maybe just um, tell tell the audience, yeah. you know, what to expect yeah. and where they can find um, the doc, gotcha. doco when it comes out. So I'll have to send you the link, but I'll I'll, I'll talk about it because I don't have the link right in my brain. But I'll, I'll just mm. say that you know you guys will have a link. Yeah, on we'll the put in the show notes so people can go to yeah. the show notes. Yeah. Uh, one of the great things that actually happened through this journey uh, that's probably different than 20, 30 years ago was we had a wonderful woman, Marquetta, who followed uh, Bob for a year in a documentary. She was in Hawaii. She's got the footage of him hitting the ground. Uh, will he make the last few hundred meters? All of his preparation leading in and so forth. And so there's a little trailer that we'll have a link to, uh, to your website that your uh, listeners can tune in to see this two minutes of what this incredible man looks like and his attitude and his everything else. But uh, by spring, our spring in Canada, late May, early June, we will actually have the 35, 40 minute final documentary done. Her biggest problem now is editing the material uh, down to 35 minutes. She's got about 15 hours of footage. So <laughs> never an easy task, but it is it is so inspiring uh, to watch these great age groupers and uh, you guys just have some of the best age groupers in the world from New Zealand. So I don't have to tell you that how well they do at uh, 50, 60, but we've had one philosophy I have had as a coach of older athletes. And that is you have to beat your competitors by having your rate of decay less than their rate of decay. So nobody at 50 or 60 or 70 is going to do what they could have done at 25 or 30 or 35. But if you make sure that your curve of decay doesn't sound too sexy, but if your curve of decay <laughs> is, is less than them, uh, you don't actually have to be going any faster. You're just going to beat them just purely on the fact that you're, you know, have only lost a half a percent of your strength in your legs or your range of motion or your, uh, you know, your hundred meter swim time or whatever. So, we worked very hard on just maintaining, you know, what he could have done at, say, 60 or 65. And, in fact, he went faster this year than when he was uh, there as a 65-year-old on the podium. He went faster as a 70-year-old. So that was, that was a bit shocking to me to actually see an absolute improvement. I was just hoping for, you know, his rate of decay not to be that significant. But, in fact, he actually saw an improvement in the last five years between 65 and 70. 
And, and what are you up to this year, Barry? Um, I'm, I'm missing you on the ITU coverage. So, so what, what's your plan this year? Are you, are you mainly focusing on coaching or what, what are you up to for the year? Well, I'll never not be passionate about the sport. So whenever an opportunity to do commentating comes up, I'll certainly take those opportunities. I watch every race around the world, just like all your your listeners do, the, the great uh, Super League stuff I saw on the weekend. I'll be watching Ironman coming up this weekend. So that's uh, still a passion. And when opportunities come, I'll, I'll certainly take those. Uh, but I put my energy right now into coaching. I've got a group of about eight young juniors that are 17, 18 years of age, and they hope to be in Lausanne and with ultimate goals of being in Paris in 2024. So we all know how much energy and, you know, that eight to 10 year window of commitment. So I still have passion for that. And my age group athletes, I've got 35 of them heading over to do Ironman Italy in uh, September and then make a little wine tour after their their Ironman is over. So that group of 35 are putting in some big miles. And I Lastly, I head down to my training camp. I have a place, a base in uh, Tucson, Arizona for the winter, and my camps start next week. So I'll have a one-week camp starting uh, the 1st of March all the way through till May. So it won't be uh, boring at all, but I will miss doing the commentary, and uh, it's always been great to, to connect with your listeners around the world because I know New Zealand's one of the most educated places in the world to watch and listen to the sport. Fantastic. Love your stuff, Barry. Yeah, great. And look forward to following you more as, uh, as the years go on. So thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. And thank you for having interest in Bob. He, he is a, a very special man. So uh, he, he deserves any of the recognition that's coming his way. Fantastic. Okay, and here comes Bob right now. Right. You guys, you've just heard from um, Barry Shipley. We've been talking about Bob and his fantastic exploits in Kona last year. Um, so welcome along to the show, Bob. We've got to find out what what motivates a 70-year-old guy to be going and bashing themselves around an Ironman course when most people around about your age are, are, are chilling out and um, and taking a slightly more leisure, some leisure, more leisurely pastimes. Well, I, uh, thanks to Barry, he's uh, quite the motivator. He uh, got me involved in the swimming, and uh, which was the weakest one of my three, and I uh, retired early from teaching so that I could pursue this uh, Hawaii adventure. Um, I, I, I was there three times. The first time, I walked the whole marathon. Uh, the second time, I finished fifth. And the third time... Uh, Barry and I put a plan together to uh, to win the thing, and uh, there was a couple people that I'd never beaten before in the Ironman distance. Uh, Herman uh, Hefty from Switzerland, I believe. Uh, I'd, I'd beaten him in a half, but not by much. But I'd I'd never beaten him in a full. Uh, so. Barry and I went to uh, Arizona for two weeks before the Ironman competition and did a lot of training in 100-degree heat, um, running 30K, um, biking 200K. Um, he, he really helped me back on the running because he knew that was the one that was going to injure me. And uh, I was on the edge, but we, we got a lot of massage, we got a lot of physio, and the body hung in there and... Uh, and I'm sort of lucky that my body does allow me to do that. And uh, we went we went after the first place finish in Kona. 
What's your motivation to do this? I think it's all internal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very competitive, uh, very competitive person. Um, I was a runner for, well, I've been a runner since I was 15, so 55 or more years. I've I've been a runner, um, and uh, I've always done well in in uh, competitions, and this was sort of like the big one in the uh, big hunk of cheese in front of my nose, and <laughs> I wanted I wanted to get that cheese. Can I, can I ask, um, how, where does this rank in your achievements as an athlete? Because, you, you know, we know you won the, uh, the marathon in Canada, so we know you've had some pretty successful experiences in your athletic career. Where does this rank in that? Oh, I think this, this ranks number one. Yeah. Uh, maybe number two, because I think my, the, the, one that, the one that really got me going was uh, Las Vegas, uh, 70.3. Um, that one was my first, uh, world championship win in, 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 um, in triathlon. And that one really, uh, got me, uh, got me going. I, I was very emotional after that win. And, uh, we've got Lionel, one of our, our heroes that started, uh, with Barry and, uh, all the success that he's brought, he's quite the motivator as well. And uh, but um, yeah, I, I would say Hawaii—it's it, basically the pinnacle of of the racing. It's it's the hardest. It was a big learning curve for me, um, and that's basically the way I work. I, I was the same in high school with the running. I grade 10 I finished third in the cross country and grade 11 I was 12th and finally in grade 13 um, I was able to win it so I I worked towards a goal and and uh, Barry was quite helpful because we did all the right stuff this time uh, going to Arizona put me in the water uh, I love to we have a quarry that we swim in up here and um, I'm in there every day and it really, uh, really helped with the swimming. I didn't get much gain on on the swim in the race. I think I was two minutes faster this year than I was in the previous years with the swim. But the biking uh, really um, improved about eight minutes, and that that got me the advantage over second and third place. And and. Uh, and then it was the run, and uh, we'd worked pretty hard on maintaining a, a slower pace, and um, that's what wor- worked as well, because I was able to maintain the distance that I got on the bike and, and the swim on second place. So what, what, so, what were the biggest yeah. challenges for you? You know, I, I know that keeping your body in one piece is probably the biggest challenge, but outside of that, you know, what's the hardest part of staying in the sport when you're 70 years old? Um, you know, what, what, what are the, the big things for you? Well, the flexibility. Uh, I've, I've noticed a big change. I noticed a big change in my running when I turned 50. And and now that I've turned seventy, I've noticed another big change in my my running. Um, the running 
is the one that's the hardest on the body and and it it's the one that uh is giving me challenges these days um I seem to be fine when I'm in warm weather um, we're heading to warm weather at the end of next week uh for training to get ready for the upcoming season and uh helping out our, our juniors but uh i like i like the warm weather it it really uh but we're stuck up here in Canada and it's cold and <laughs> Uh, so the running is definitely, I'm noticing big changes with my body with the running. Just and in, that's the one that's... In, in terms of the challenge. race, um, you know, you, you obviously had a really good swim bike and, and it sounds like most of the run went pretty well. When you were coming back on the Queen K and, and Barry was telling us you went pretty hard down Palani Drive, um, Palani Hill... What was sort of going through your mind uh, in those closing stages of the of the run, or can you remember? I don't know if uh, yeah, I can remember. I don't I don't uh, know if Barry told you. Um, with about eight kilometers out, uh, there was a man from Guatemala that uh, Jose who asked Barry, "How old is that guy?" <laughs> and, <laughs> Barry said he's 70, and Barry said, why don't you run with him for the last eight kilometers? So he took my mind off off of a lot of the, the oh, last nice. bit of the race. He was telling me my pace and so on, Barry. And uh, Barry as well was, was there intermittently on the bike. But um, I'd sort of made up my mind that I was going to, uh, when I hit Polani, I was going to pick up the pace and I, I, I did. I went down that hill a little too fast, and then it hit me at the bottom. But it wasn't there. And I made a big mistake in the run too. Um, I was trying to maintain my pace, and I stopped eating about halfway through the uh, through the run. Uh, when I was coming out of the energy lab, I, I st- every time I ate. My pace would slow down for about a kilometer, and then by that time I was at the next aid station. I'd eat again, and then I'd slow down again. So I, I was falling off my pace. Um, there was there was a point at, at that part of the race where I uh, I was ahead by 13 minutes, and then all of a sudden I was ahead by 12 minutes. So I started to to worry a little bit, but then I saw second place and. He was walking through all the water stations like I was. So uh, then I just tried to get back on pace, and I sort of ran out of gas there. At the bottom of Polani, I I was still upright, but then I hit uh, I hit the home stretch, and my body started to to lean and uh, went down with 400 meters to go. Uh, hit my my face on the pavement, and uh, but. I was so close to the finish line that I wasn't going to not get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I got up, walked for a bit, um, and Jose again said, you're you're going to be under the 12 hours, so just keep going. So I did. And uh, Barry and, and the crew were amazing. There were about 10 people that came along with us that weren't racing that were there to support as well. And uh, they knew that I was still with it when they saw me punch my watch as I crossed crossed the line. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
at least Barry's wife Karen said, "Oh, he's still with it." He, <laughs> he stopped his watch as he crossed the finish line, but I was exhausted. It was it was quite the effort. Yeah. So what, what's yeah. your plan now? You know, you've you've uh, reached that pinnacle. Um, Barry said you're maybe targeting Edmonton next year. Have you got any other athletic goals? Well, yeah, that's that's the main focus right now is is to qualify for for Edmonton and try to get an Olympic distance world championship. Uh, I'm gonna have to see if the running will hang in there for <laughs> another year um, I'm still running and it's it's not too bad I've I have developed uh, a slow growing lymphoma in my lymph nodes mm. which uh, I don't know how that's going to affect me but uh, I had it when I was in Hawaii I waited till I got back from Hawaii to uh, get the um, or they took out the lymph nodes to test them uh, I didn't want to have that done before but one of my uh, chiropractors had noticed that they were swollen before I left so yeah, we're going to have to see how that that plays out uh, it's it's not Hodgkin's lymphoma it's, it's the one that's a lot slower growing so I'm going to see the doctor again on this Thursday before we go to Florida and uh uh, she's sort of on the fence, like waiting to see if there's going to be uh, uh, signs. And I think I want to be a little more proactive and try and get some treatments before that. But that's in the back of my mind. I'm still biking like mad. Um, I'm running three, four times a week. Um, I haven't got back in the water yet, but that's going to happen. And that's going to happen next week. And. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much. We have a quarry that I swim in all summer, so I'll be there every day, sometimes twice a day. So I don't think I, I'll have lost that much. Uh, but the goal is a world championship at the Olympic distance. Fantastic. Then I'll, I'll have three, which would be good for me. Nice. <laughs> After that, I don't know. <laughs> uh, one step at a time. Brilliant. Oh no, we'll, we'll um, be sharing the video clip when it comes out. Um, we've we've seen the the trailer, and I've I've seen you when you do make that fall, and it looks pretty full on. So well done on a fantastic result. I think that record is going to stand for a very very long time. And um, all the very best with your. Oh, well, I don't know about health. that. Oh, I think There's a lot of good seven-year-olds. Oh, I think it's pretty solid. So, no, all the best with your season coming up, and um, and we look forward to seeing uh, Edmonton uh, next year, how you go, so we'll be checking out the results. So thanks very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Okay, Jombo, your thoughts. Impressive stuff. Oh, very impressive. Hard to comprehend. Yeah, it is. You know, really, like, you know, the average time of an Ironman is probably at 12 and a half, mm. you know, when you around the world. Yep. It's 70. I think it'd be slower than that. And uh, if you had Kona conditions, Dawson, and, uh, Kona conditions. Uh, I think the average time in Kona is probably reasonably quick. But if you had Kona conditions at a race elsewhere in the world, uh, I yep. think you find the average time slower than that. Yeah. So, so very impressive. Um, Jombo. So let's look at winger of the week. Do a very quick one here. So the let's see. Uh, we will go. Uh, last week. 
Top of the pile was Tristan Franklin with 31 hours and 28 minutes. Uh, total distance top of the pile, Jeff Vegfar with 700.7 kilometres. Nice work, you guys. Jeepers, creepers. Jombo, I don't think you need to do your end of the week. Don't you? <laughs> no, I think okay. you, you can let that one go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> questions and answers. Overall. Good old Rob Lines goes through here and he goes, uh, John looked like a fool, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought I'd share with you a bit of insight into the legacy program. 2019 applicants are now looking to 2021 to get onto the big island. I got mine within an hour or two of the month application window opening and hoped it to get into a 2020 place. I'm liking that you can do a non-Ironman Ironmans in 2020. I didn't really get that. He's right so, there, is he? Yeah, he is right. Um, so, it, Oh, we, you don't have to do a full distance. You have means. to do a full. Okay. Oh, when he said that, I read that as you could do like a challenge race. No. Um, because he's got a non-Ironman Ironmans. Yeah. Um, in 2021 and 2020, as long as they're at the 70.3 or 50.51, although not many of these in Europe or the UK. So he's just kind <laughs> not of Not many of them anywhere. Yeah. 50.51, do they 50 exist at 50. all? Um, you carry on, Bevan. Okay, so basically they've sent through, Ironman sent him through what the process is. You're guaranteed for selection of the 2021 Ironman World Championships. The remaining eligibility for the 2021 Ironman World Championships, please note the following. You've got to validate, so you have to do a full distance Ironman in 2019. Uh, but then in 2020, you can do either a full, a 70.3 or a branded 51.50 and the same again in 2021. From there, you then get to go to Kona in 2021. Okay, so 5150s is one in Cebu in the Philippines, one in Croatia, one in Kreuzkau, one in Warsaw, one in Philippines, one in Zurich, one in Denmark, one in South Africa, one in, where the hell is that? Gauteng, it might be China, one in the Philippines, and one in South Africa. So if you live in Asia, yeah. you're, you're all right, but anywhere else. It hasn't really stuck. taken off, has it? It hasn't. There mm -hmm. are other short course races that Ironman now own, um, which are WTS races. So, for example, Abu Dhabi. Uh, there's also the Super Seal Olympic race in California, a um, bunch of others. But, yeah. So, look, I think this is what, what Dutchie has put in here is basically these days you're having to wait two years to get your Ironman slot for, through the Legacy program. And I saw the same case, good old Flower Power Nadine uh, Voice. She did Ironman New Zealand at the weekend. And... Just before the race, she got her confirmation that she's in and hers also, I'm pretty sure, is 2021. So it's okay. a two-year wait. But I do love what Ironman have done in terms yeah, of it's really relaxing good. that rule in terms of having to do an Ironman every year. Uh, you have to complete, as Bevan said, uh, one iron distance race in your sort of year of validation. And then to keep it um, valid after that, then you just need to do a 70.3 or a short course race or an Ironman. So you do have to keep paying, but um, you don't have to keep It will be Ironman. interesting to see eventually will they have to make it like legacies like 14 races you know like i wonder if you know if the popularity of it gets so big that eventually you know like if it's five years away are you better off to go you know what expand the legacy number yeah i'm not sure that will happen it might do but i think the good, the, the good game it, for them is it just keeps people in the sport yeah totally totally but if, and if, it if, might be you have to wait four years yeah but i wonder if people kind of go uh Four years, you know, like I wonder, like, yeah, like, because, you know, you get Rob's kind of tone of his email there. He's a little bit disappointed he's got to wait another year. Mm. So then if you're getting, oh, and by the way, in 2026, you get to do Ironman Kona. It's like, oh, God, that's, yeah. it's a lifetime away. Whereas if they, they might, would they go keep going longer or would they say legacy is actually a higher requirement to get into? 
tell you one way you can get to Kona a little bit easier. Uh, here we go. <laughs> this is something I don't agree with, but when the rules are wrong, you still play by the rules. Uh, so they've announced. You're like a politician. <laughs> they've announced ten extra slots for the Kona seventy point three, and these are just the random slots. These aren't. Yeah, they're, so, they're, so they're not they're not age group placements. They, they have they already had age group Kona slots. Now that's pretty hard to get. There's one, um, probably one per age group uh, at best, maybe two in a couple of the age groups. I think there's thirty slots, but they've just announced there's another ten if you enter the Kona 70.3. I do not agree with this, as you all know. But however, he's loving it. <laughs> however, it is a really cool race. Uh, and if you were thinking about going, maybe that might tip you over the edge. Uh, and I do have one, maybe two slots left on my camp if you do want to come over. So I'm not agreeing with the policy, but, you know, might give you a chance to get in there. Uh, I, in fact, I don't agree with 70.3 slots. Um, it oh, I kinda, I, Kona's the only place you allow it. Oh, only for local residents, I reckon. Yeah, true. Fair. Um, yep. So I don't agree with them having slots there, but they're there. Take advantage of it. And they've got another 10. Totally don't agree with that. Um, but you basically just need to enter the race and you've got a, you've got a chance. So, um, question I have, John, is how many people actually do that race? What's the size of the field? Well, that's the thing. It's, sh- it's shrinking. You know, a few years ago, it was selling out every year. And, and sell out quite what? early. What, 2000? I would, I would guess so. Yeah. Uh, and it was selling out by Christmas. One year, uh, some guys missed out. They wanted to come on the camp, and it's like the race is sold out. Oh, bugger. Um, but yeah, it's getting significantly smaller year on year. Still a great size race. It's a really, really cool race. Absolutely love it. You won it? I did. I'm not going to win it this year, I don't think, yeah. um, because uh, because of all the Kona slots, and I've seen a few people are going. I'm thinking, uh, oh, well, <laughs> give it a best crack and see what happens. But um, I just think it's a, you know, the popularity of the sport uh, is just you know, waning. There's so many other races on. Um, but yeah, don't have an exact answer, but. There's no pro race as well. Maybe that's a small contributing factor, but I, I doubt it. I just think it's just the sport's just, you know, a slight state of decline. Okay, good times. There we go. So uh, uh, any other little questions? Answers? No. Let's talk about the patrons, John. Uh, we have um, Lee, the Merv Hughes. Parker Barney Day. And good old Eric, Icy Bernie. Okay, guys, if you want to uh, support the show. Oh, John sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you just go to www.iamtalk.me. It's all pretty obvious. You can donate to the show and we give gifts based on your donation level. And you go in the draw to win a trip to Kona with the boys in 2020. It'll be just after the Olympics. It will be. I guess the Olympics will be September. They're normally sort of August, August September, September time, aren't okay. they? Let's have a look. You talk about something for a second. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Japan Olympics. Japan. Um, Olympic date. I guess in the next little period, we're going to start seeing a lot of trial events over there, which is going to be exciting times. Uh, I will say, based off that conversation we had earlier July about 24th to the 9th of August. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit earlier. It seems like a bit earlier to me. Yeah, because it's normally August, I think. But anyway, keep going. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see who makes that Great Britain Olympic team. With the, qu- the, qu- the automatic qualification criteria they've got is pretty damn stiff. So it may come down to selective discretion. Tell you one person who's not going to make it. My friend Lucy Charles. Uh, we've got show notes emailed to After you. After today's show, she might be going. No, she sent me a text. She said, Bev, you're right. You're yeah. right. Just, you know, listen to Bev. Uh, basically, if you want to get the show emailed to you, if you go to a website, you see there's a little page, um, email link. And each time I release a show, we just send you a link with the links to the show in it. Uh, if you want to get coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. If you want to check out my podcast, bevanjamesisles.com. Send us through content at uh, iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, what is your gossip? What is my gossip, Bevan? Um, 
I had a well, I had a bit of cultural weekend. Watched, uh, went to the theatre on Friday night. Saw a what theatre did you watch? There, on? The court, the court theatre, and we watched um, Ealing. Was it good? Was, it was. was. It was, was that with the one of um, Mark Hadlow? Yeah, and he's kind of they had two guys that were kind of um, not all there. I guess maybe it was a little bit like twins. Maybe they were. They just weren't all there, and they were trying to. Move. So it's a comedy. Uh, no, it's a bit sad. Okay. Uh, and they were moving from an institution where they had mental problems and then moving them into society and their sort of development there. It was it was actually well done. Very it was good stuff. Uh, then I watched A Star Is Born on Saturday night. Did that cry you cry? No, it didn't, but it's great music. Do you cry in movies, John? No. Where I'm not cry. I am half English Bevan, as much as I don't like to admit it, and I don't like the English rugby team. Uh are English not allowed to cry? Sorry? Are English not allowed no. to cry? Oh, I didn't know it's that. forbidden. The queen, <laughs> the queen forbids it to show emotion. <laughs> um, but the other dilemma I had the other day was to been Friday, driving to swimming, uh, you know, uh, with the, the pool that I go to takes seven to eight minutes depending on what traffic light the track was one traffic light to go uh. through it takes seven or eight minutes so you know you leave it and the pool opens the doors open bang on 5 30 yep. so there's no point leaving it set at 5 20 you're leaving at 5 21 5 22 or 5 23 otherwise you're just sitting in your car wasting time yep so you've really got this to find out yeah friday morning driving to swimming there's actually two sets of lights i have to go around a little corner and there's another set there wait a second from yours to pioneer Go down Tennyson Street, right, then left. Oh, yeah. okay. You yeah. guys, everybody knows that. Yeah, those they streets. love it. Yep. Uh, make my first little right turn, and there's somebody waving their hands out of their car window. And there's the two cars in front of me just drive straight past. And I thought, oh, probably better stop. Something might be going on here. And the lady jumps out of the car, and it wasn't a crappy car. It wasn't a nice car, but it did have some sign writing on the side. And she jumps out of the car, and I'm thinking, I'm leaving my door open here uh, in case I need to make a hasty... You buy the police station there? I am directly across. I hadn't thought about that. It is directly across the road from the police station. Hmm. Didn't think about that one. And this lady's in a bit of a bloody panic. I wasn't really comprehending what she was saying. I was thinking, I've got to get to the pole. The guy's (laughs) going to be dying. And she's going on and on. I think she said she was losing a job and she was overdrawn. And I think she was was basically trying to scheme you, was she? Well, she was about to run out. She'd either run out of petrol or was just about to run out of petrol. She's going on, I just need some money. I'm overdrawn. And and she said, I just need somebody to help me for an hour. And I just said, I can't help you for an hour. And, and she said, have you got any money I can have? And I, so I gave her five bucks and then I was on my, on my merry way. Okay, nice. And I thought, that's my good deed for the yeah, day. Yeah, you're a good man. Belinda pointed out to me when I got home, do you think she was tripping or anything like that? And maybe uh, on something, I was like, oh, you could be right, but I think I've done the right thing. So now you're feeding the habit, John. You're the problem. You're feeding the habit. I wasn't quite sure if I'd done the right thing or not, but I, I thought I've done my good deed. I remember one time I was in Auckland years ago, and this guy comes up to me on the street and he goes, oh, mate, you're not going to believe it. I won a lottery the other day, and I, I I've got no money until I can pick up my ticket. And so can you, can you, <laughs> I think I'd see through can, that one. Can you leave me a hundred bucks, <laughs> and I'll pay you back. And I was like, hey, how am I going to meet you again? <laughs> and it was just so like you, 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 you one had a, you know, maybe a, you know, yeah. you know, but this was just like, mate, yeah. you're scheming me. <laughs> I wouldn't have fell for that one. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Haven't got a hundred bucks on yeah, me right no. now. Yeah, no, no. Was even like like um, you know, Greenpeace and stuff. 
Because the thing you always got to remember about the guys who are doing that on the street, it's, it's actually just a sales job for them. They get quite a big commission on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Annalise, my partner, did it for a while. And everyone thinks, oh, what good people do <laughs> volunteering their time. And they actually make quite a big cut from the old the, the street mm-hmm. sellers. Um, What's happening with you, Bevan? i tell you what you should do. It's just the one. The, 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 um, in the park, they're having a play on in the park, King Arthur. Right, and it's brilliant. We took we took the tailors, the kids, and all the rest of them. And Joe and I went on Sunday. It's outdoor. It's free, although you you, you know you give a little bit of money at the end because you know more mm-hmm. than five dollars, by the way. And uh, and it was either five or fifty. That's what I had in my wallet, and I knew it. And you're like, yeah, I give him fifty. Fifty. But it's highly recommended. Highly recommended. It was really good fun. For all you people outside of Christchurch. Fly to Christchurch is worth it. It was pretty great. Uh, and then... Running more of those really easy uh, four-minute Ks. Well, actually, I had a blinder run last Tuesday. Yeah, another I, easy one. I ended up, end up averaging... Well, because the first two Ks, I just cruised down the hill. Mm. But I basically ran like 345s. Mm. So, yeah, like... And it wasn't... Easy running. Wasn't, I think it's the playlist, John. Yeah. I think it's the Iron Tour playlist. So, although, I tell you what, on Sunday... So, Liz Mills have a program called Grit. Mm-hmm. It's basically hits training, and it's hard. And and they've done this new thing which I really love. So you know Tabata training, yes, twenty yeah. seconds on, ten seconds off. Yep, times eight. So they do Tabata sets, but they're doing this thing in this Tabata set where you do like a burpee, ten seconds off, and then like it's just a, a squat jump. So mm-hmm. it's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. But what they've done really cleverly is in the recovery, you don't recover, you do a plank. Right. So yeah. your, your plank's kind of like holding a stable position, mm-hmm. and it's very hard. So I did that. I taught pump, and I always go hard and pump. And then halfway through the pump, someone came up and said, the instructor who teaches attack afterwards can't teach the class. Can you teach the class? So I end up teaching attack as well after that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, mate. I've been written off. <laughs> I won't be doing a sub-40-minute run tonight, I'll tell you that much. I reckon what gets you running so fast is that crap you watch on your computer. We were doing an interview before, and I look across Bevan's computer screen. He's watching WWF, some guy grabbing the other guy's nuts. Oh, that was so <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what are you watching? But did you see what happened with it? Did you no, see what happened? No, I did not. <laughs> so the guy's grabbing his nuts, and then the guy... <laughs> Who's like getting his nuts grabbed? He starts to get the Hulk Hogan. Uh-huh. Starts over the power, and he pretends he searches search through his diddle, and the other guy just flies away. <laughs> so, so it was highly entertaining. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, let's wrap it up, John. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.